It's That's What She Said. Georgie Parker here, Mel Barbieri and Ashley Nelson joining you as always. But it gives me a massive pleasure and it's a huge honour actually to introduce our next guest. He's a fabulous cricketer, world champion, Alan Border medalist, but not only is he a fantastic cricketer, he's also just a great human being. He was someone I idolised growing up and somebody I just watched and wanted to be more like Gilly and my mum probably wanted to be me to be more like Gilly as well. So I'm going to be introducing Adam Gilchrist. So Adam, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, thanks, Georgie, for the intro, ladies. How are you? Very good to be chatting with you. Good to be seeing you, albeit from a distance. Yes, of course. And well, firstly, like you said, we're distancing. It's still kind of that socially distancing time, especially over in Victoria. But yeah. firstly, COVID, it's probably affected you a lot. You've got four kids. How are you? How have you coped with it? Uh, very well, I guess, uh, like a lot of people have been saying, sort of in, a, in the respectful manner of everything that's actually going on in the world, um, there's been a lot, lot of parts of it that there's a lot to like about, uh, the, the slower sort of pace of life and um, all those extra minutes together where you, you can sort of hang out and just not have to feel like you're obliged to be anywhere or doing anything. So there was all those positive sides to it. But, um, but yeah, then... That probably wears sin after a little while, I guess, for <laughs> most people. And uh, I must say, I think it's, it is in my adult life, and I'm, I'm sure I'm not the only person in the world saying this, the longest I've been without getting on a plane. And I think all, all you guys know that, know the, the, uh, the perils of professional sport and pursuing, um, you know, the dreams that we try to pursue. So, uh, yeah, I, I don't know if I'm desperately keen to get to the airport, but I'm, I'm sure it's coming soon. Gilly, welcome to the podcast and thanks for joining us as well. I like the line, be more like Gilly. I feel like that's a great advertising campaign that we can potentially run with in the future. Um, just with this whole COVID shutdown, it must be exciting though. There has been a return to cricket for some of the state cricket sides. Uh, I was down watching um, the West Australian team doing some training the other day. Where have you been sitting with it all? Have you been able to get out and perhaps watch a little bit? Uh, I haven't. Um, it's all football in our house at the moment. Backyard cricket's the extent of my cricket sort of uh, profession at the moment uh, in this stage of my life, but it's all footy at the minute with the kids. Uh, but, yeah, look, I'm obviously keeping a close eye on the landscape for cricket and what it holds. Um, we've certainly found a way to find ourselves on the uh, front and back page of the paper through sacking. We're another sporting organisation to sack CEO. Um, so that's been disappointing to say the least and I, I suspect I, I hope it doesn't happen but there's another bit of a spat brewing between the players and the administrators so hopefully that doesn't go to the extent that it did last time over the pay dispute um, so even without cricket being played without matches necessarily being affected thus far we've still found ourselves in a bit of controversy um, but, it, but hopefully the way it's going come summertime most if not all the summer will be pretty much the way it was planned you know, 12 months ago, and uh, both domestic cricket and, and international cricket. Well, just on that, uh, Justin Langer spoke the other day and um, he was saying that it's almost like watching theatre unfold now as to who's going to be appointed the new chief executive. Um, of course, Kevin Roberts stepping down from the role of being essentially made redundant. Yeah. There's a lot of names that get thrown up, Christina Matthews being one of them, um, the WACA uh, chairperson at the moment, and then also... Um, we also had uh, Andrew Strauss that put up there, been put up there as well. Yeah. Justin Langer was a little bit hesitant to back anyone in. He just sort of said, whoever gets put up, he's going to back 100%. Yeah. 
being in your position, who do you see as some likely candidates just being around the, the cricket industry for a while? Yeah. Uh, well, Christina is a lady that I've, well, I'll go, can't speak for Justin, but I know he worked beautifully hand in hand with her in helping sort of revitalise West Australian cricket when he came on as coach and Chris came in as CEO and, and, and there's a fair bit of work that needed to be done. Probably um, take away the bottom line or the balance sheet or, or necessarily the performance of the, of the sort of front, front of shop um, team, it was probably more culturally around the background and around the uh, environment of the, uh, the working environment of the people and employees and, and that was a significant improvement and I think there's a complete buy-in from the staff as to what the leaders in the organisation were trying to achieve and, you know, I think we see and hear this more and more, particularly through a crisis scenario like um, COVID's created for so many businesses, um, that strong leadership, um, or not just businesses, but for societies and countries and states, uh, the strong leadership, particularly um, in, a, in a team situation, needs to be really well communicated and, um, and it needs to be appreciated. And they certainly created that at the WACA. So I'm sure they'd work really well together. But Chris is um, definitely a candidate. Andrew Strauss, that came as a bit left field for me. Certainly got the cricket now, and cricket knowledge. Um, in a corporate sense, does he have that experience? Uh, I'm not sure. Uh, but there'll be, there'll be another bunch of names thrown up there, I think, eventually. It'd be interesting to see how it goes. But uh, I do think Christina would do a terrific job. Now, we've got this, like you said, it's a weird situation at the moment with the, with the COVID crisis that's going around the world. And, of course, we now have, in an AFL sense, we've got these players that are going off into hubs. They've, players have been labelled as soft and um, pathetic for, I guess, having this, um, this complaining sort of, well, just complaints um, from the players, from staff, excuses-making. Um, I guess my initial thought of when they talked about these hubs and people having these qualms about it, thinking, well, come on, just get over it and do it. But at the same time, you do really feel for them as athletes. It's a completely different environment when you are away from your family and something that these guys didn't sign up on for doing. You as a cricketer, you would be away, what, nine, ten months of the year, mm. very used to pardon me, being away from your friends, your family. Just how difficult is it being away from your family in such a really stressful environment, like a, a playing environment, which is really hard to really, um, for other people to understand unless you're yeah. really in it. How difficult is it? Yeah, my, my most challenging time, um, 2005 Ashes Tour, uh, we were over there. I was trying to be, what was I trying to be, a vice captain, a batsman, a wicketkeeper, a husband and a father all at once for about four months. And I did a pretty shit job at all of them, to be honest. But by, by the time the end of the, <laughs> end of the um, series came around, I sat back and thought, nah, it wasn't my best series, that one. But, I, I <laughs> um, but it was, yeah, there's a, there's a real balance. It's, it has been interesting, hasn't it? And I think, um, Georgia, your, your point where you're saying it's not what they originally signed up for or not, not um, and I think even the, the, the cynics will say, well, you've signed up to play professional sport and you're getting paid bloody well, just mm. comp it. But I, I understand that sort of, not what, that because it's come about, it came about so quickly mm -hmm. and in such extraordinary circumstances, I think that adds, and, and all of their obvious health concerns and, and issues that are flying around, I think that's only added to the, the drama of it and the and the potential um, psychological battle for a group of guys to go, 
away like that. I, I myself have sat back and read a few of the reports and thought, seriously, isolation? Try, try a sort of twelve-week tour to India, yeah. uh, <laughs> remote parts of subcontinent. I think we could probably all most travelling sportsmen and women would probably be able to relate to it somewhere that sort of scenario. But um, I think it's just the pace with which it came about and the sudden shock. And, and I think the whole, you know, all this was playing out. The world's a little bit more settled now, but that's all playing out at a pretty um, hectic pace, wasn't it, about lockdowns in general and what's the health concerns and so on. So, um, yeah, it'll be a learning experience. They'll, they'll be more resilient from it, but who knows how it'll affect. It hasn't really, uh, well, it has probably hindered their performance for the Eagles and the Dockers to this point. You'd have to <laughs> be a tough couple of weeks but um yeah you've, you've got to find a way I, I i i don't stop and think it's unfair or it, we're all trying to roll with it and so is the afl good on them for going and giving it at a crack and I, I would think if you sat down and asked the the players themselves you know in a, in a conversation not in a news bite not yeah. in a online grab or a, a newspaper headline if you sat down like this and had a good chat with them i think they'd on balance would say, no, it was the only scenario we were going to get to play footy and we're happy to do it and try it out. Don't you think there's a lot of pressure on them, though, feeling like they've got the weight of a nation because there's absolutely nothing happening in terms of um, national team sport? And yeah. these guys have never played for their country. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of that pressure comes from, what, what do you think in, in that terms? Because a lot of them have that sort of freedom as well uh, to go out and about and do as they like and not have that sort of uh, a realistic pressure on them to do everything exactly perfect every minute of the day whilst being sure. watched. So so you think maybe that the, the lack of other sporting content has put the real microscope on them? Is that the... Yeah, I think, I think when it comes down to it, don't you think when you, when you play for your national team, mm. you would have that added pressure on yourself when you become a vice captain or a captain, but... Would I would I would actually feel like all that all the eyes are on us now because we have the weight of a nation because nobody can watch anything unfortunately that yeah. that all that yeah. pressure rides on them. How do you think they're going to cope with that side of things? I mean, as a cricketer, you always would have eyes on you no matter where you went, especially in, internationally and all those sorts of things. What sort of things have you been able to do in in those hub situations where you kind of keep people, you know, a little bit reined in? Yeah, sure. No, it's really it's a really interesting take on it that one, um, Mel, about the the focus on them. And I suppose cricket um, we, it just became our, became our club competition, if you like. Um, yeah. In that for the whole summer, that was our team, the mm. national team. Yeah. Occasionally, you might you know more and more rarely do you go back and play state cricket now, but uh, but that was your sort of your staple diet team because we were playing so often and. And that became our, you know, our Eagles or Dockers or whatever it may be um, team. So that, and you didn't stop to think that because it was the Australian team, there's more eyes on us. It was just, it was just a team we played in. That's yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> and you tried to prepare. Sorry, but um, I think I did, I did watch with interest the, the build up to the potential hub and, and the discussion and conversation, albeit in a public space about it and I, I remember thinking this reminds me of going on a, a long tour or a month tour and we used to love it and, and I joked about the 2005 where I had Mel and we only had two kids at the time um, 
but you're trying to be all these different things. Sometimes it's better when there's no one else around and you can just focus on yeah. your team and your teammates, isn't it? You guys all know that situation. Mm. You can spend as much time as you want talking shop about what the game coming up or the opponent or as little as you want and just chill out and do whatever you do to chill out. Um, clearly, they're not allowed to go out to the shopping centres or out at night or anything, but they're still got a pretty good set up there and they'd have it all set up with team rooms and you know lounge areas and a coffee shop probably on the corner where you can just relax and chill out and uh, um and that's Matthew Hayden used to always talk about right this tour particularly in India where it's very easy to find yourself in your hotel room on your own yeah. um the open door policy um just always have the door open so if you walk past and look in and it's one of your teammates room just walk in walk out I mean that was always a bit of a delicate one around Warney to have the open door policy. You never wanted to <laughs> too far. But, um, but as a general theme, it meant that we're all inclusive together and getting on really well. And that was a great way to sort of yeah. build that, that steel resolver as a group. Um, and they're going to need that more and more than the two uh, Western Australian teams at the moment. Sorry, Ash, I was cutting you off there. No, no, that's okay. I was just going to ask, well, I think it's interesting. I mean, there is the opportunity for AFL players to take their family over into the hubs and a lot of them have opted not to do it. Looking back on your career, taking your family over to certain uh, cricket tournaments, which wasn't always a given, but certainly happened yeah. sometimes, did you find in the end that you played better or was it a point where you actually said to them, listen, I need to focus on my career. I don't think it's a good thing for you to come. But equally on the other side as well, probably important for them to be able to make that decision because you're upending their life and moving them yeah. over for a certain period of time. So how did you strike that balance? Yeah, well, that's it. It's a balance, exactly that. And I reflect on my career and um, I was... Mel and I have been together since we're about that big. So we, um, we've been on the whole journey together. So it wasn't like I'd sort of made it to the national stage and, and playing for Australia and then met Mel and that was all new to her. She'd sort of been through all the schoolboy cricket and then the junior rep cricket and into the seniors and so on. So she <laughs> sort of know, knew that journey well. And I reflect on it that we were able to maintain a really good balance with it. So if it was a 12-week tour, so you know, best part of three months, um, Mel and the kids would come and she was working. She had a, had her own uh, dietitian. She's a dietitian, so she had her own dietetics practice. But um, she would come maybe for three or four weeks in the middle of a 12-week trip and just break it up. So you're never more than, say, four weeks apart from each other. Yeah. And then, but it's funny that it seemed like that the players that had partners that wanted to come the whole time were generally the players that probably didn't want their partners there. <laughs> and the flip, the flip side of that too, the ones that were pining for their partner, they, they couldn't get there, they were working or whatever. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's just trying to get a balance. Uh, and I seem to see my observation is that players' partners are travelling more and more uh, than what, you know, and the era before us, it was like, nah, they're not, not included, not coming, we're there to do the job. And so it's just got to be a, a happy balance up mm. to the individual. There shouldn't be any um, sort of pressure, pressure. To, mm. to any, on anyone to have to be there or not to be there. Now, we'll just finish off this hub chat because it probably is quite an engulfing com conversation that a lot of people are having, especially here in WA with Dockers and West Coast not doing so well. Is it an excuse? But we'll just do a quick fire, rapid fire question about you and your team as you were travelling away and just the first person that comes to your mind with these questions. 
Who was the last on the bus? Andrew Simons. Who Often always on the bus? <laughs> <laughs> Who always lost things? Uh, Steve Wall. See, if I was answering this, the first two questions would have been Georgie, Georgie Parker. Parker. <laughs> Who's last on the bus? Who lost things? Georgie Parker. <laughs> I have to say, I actually roomed, I was laughing about that open door policy because obviously yeah. you guys got your own room. I always had to share a room with Georgie Parker. And the <laughs> amount of times that Georgie was still straightening her hair or doing something, faffing about while everyone was loaded up onto the bus. So I can't remember how many times it was. Plenty, I was but- never late. I was always right on time. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. All right, um, we're not talk- we're not here to talk about Georgie Parker though. Uh, Gilly, who was the early riser out of the side? Brad Hogg. Oh, we'll come back to him. <laughs> who came home the latest? Uh, Andrew Simons again. Sometimes <laughs> just didn't get home. Before straight to training, <laughs> straight to the game, straight, straight to match day. <laughs> um, who had the biggest FOMO? So fear of missing out. Oh, uh, I think um, Damien Martin. Oh, yes, he featured pretty heavily in our podcast last week, but obviously <laughs> the <laughs> Damien Martin, the basketballer, not the cricketer. Yeah. <laughs> um, who was the biggest cricket nerd? Oh, there's a few. Um, Ricky Ponting. Yeah, he's the, the Steve Smith is the Ricky Ponting of now, right? Yeah, 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 absolutely. And what they're, opposite they're the of that? Who... They think they're pretty cool, but they are absolute nuffies. <laughs> <laughs> Ricky, Ricky could tell you the third grade score in <laughs> South Australian grade cricket on a Saturday afternoon. Like, he'd sit and look at the paper through the details, all the fine print. And he denies it, but he's an absolute nothing. <laughs> um, well, on the flip side, who's the laziest player? Ooh. Um, laziest by way of, I'll take that as... <laughs> you can take it how you want to. Yes, and, and working hard off the field and trying to... Oh, I think Warney might have been probably left <laughs> when you, to be desired. Imagine, imagine. But he didn't need to train too hard. He just walk out there and click his fingers and away it went. Oh. Exactly. exactly. Um, who was the biggest brown noser? There's one in every team. Come on, Gilly. <laughs> S- sitting at the... F- well, well Warnie would tell you, it's me. So, Victoria. Uh, <laughs> it was called me at one time. Someone called Justin Langer the brown nose gnome once. It's <laughs> stiff, but it's stuck. <laughs> What's it saying? If you can't think of anyone, it's usually you. So, yeah, that's yeah. right. <laughs> um, who was the cleanest and uh, clean, cleanest? Who was the cleanest and also the messiest? Uh, messiest Darren Lehman, without doubt. Was, yeah, yeah, very, very messy. But mind you, he's he's responsible too. From we're going back about the um, sharing room time at the start of our career, we. We had roommates and um, Darren Lehman was responsible for Ricky Ponting being so good uh, fielding and affecting runouts because those two room together, Buff was the most grotesque room mate anyway because he's filthy but he snored like there's no tomorrow and <laughs> Punter would roll up all his socks and keep them above his bedhead and through the middle of the night whenever Buff was snoring, <laughs> pick him off with the top and <laughs> put him in the nose. So it's good training for Punter late at night but Buff, um, Buff was... Yeah, not clean. The cleanest, uh, Michael Clark. Um, 
you, you see him, he's always immaculately presented and yeah. uh, he would shower about six times in a day and get out fresh. <gasps> One of those people. Wow. Every, every sort of hour of play, yeah, frightening. And frightening, um, and uh, he probably doesn't have COVID. Then he's probably there washing his hands. So, yeah. and then lastly, who was the naughtiest, and not like bad naughty, the naughtiest, the cheekiest, the one that oh, Mag- Glenn started- McGrath. Yeah, Glenn McGrath was the biggest pain in the ass, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> but again, all you guys have done it, been um, you know in front of press or one-on-one interviews or whatever, and all of a sudden something's hitting you in the back of the head or. You know, He's one of them, but it was extraordinarily accurate. Like you'd be up on a balcony at Lords, and you'd be forty meters away, and a grape would hit you in the head. Geez, you'd hope so with these guys, <laughs> cricketers. <Yeah. laughs> it's true. Yeah. In our sport, it's like anyone tries to throw anything and it misses by a mile. So probably <laughs> the wrong sport, uh, Gilly, wanting to avoid getting hit in the head. I do like you talking about Darren Lehman and how like messy he was, though, because people can't see it because it's a podcast. But I yeah. can see you and just. The look on your face when you think about Darren Lehman and his hygiene is uh, quite funny to watch. <laughs> you never forget your teammates that are like that as well. We had no. one that it would have been Anna Flanagan with some of the oh. things she did. <laughs> you can't forget smells, horrific. can you? No, that's right. That's right. No, Buff, well, Buff, Buff's the nickname that he's always had, but Shrek was the other one. So, no. And it wasn't I- just because he looked like him. It was more that he smelled like him. <laughs> I would like to actually know because along the lines of uh, Messius, but being a keeper myself, yep. did you ever get stick for the smell of your gloves and your hands? Because I'm always like, guys, my, my gloves are clean. Like yeah. I get brand new ones all the time. Like, and, and people kind of don't shake your hands and things. Do you yeah, have that yeah. problem as well? Yeah, that, the, the old inner gloves, because we, we had wicket-keeping gloves but had these inner gloves that lined them and, and that's, that's the, <laughs> the pair of uh, a bit of the equipment that used to get a bit bit nasty. But, yeah, try to keep them fresh, as you say, Mel. Keep turning them over and get, get uh, fresh <laughs> new ones in there. But, no, I wasn't, I wasn't too bad. I, I wasn't the smelliest, wasn't the cleanest, but tried to be a respectable um, team citizen. We're in the middle. Probably the way <laughs> I hate to break up this um, chat between golf, uh, like wicket keepers. It's a, it's a unit. Uni. It is. This seems a very specific discussion. But you were talking about nicknames just before, and yeah. was it churchy for you? And is that yeah. how did that come across? Yeah, come about? yeah. Well, predominantly Gilly, obviously, just to, to shorten up the surname, the way we all do it in Australia. But I was walking around uh, a ground on my my very first full tour with the Australian team. Uh, you know, back in 1997. So I was young and I knew I was reserve keeper to Ian Healy, sort of the, the last man picked as they oh, had to round wow. out the squad with the reserve keeper. Um, and I was walking around the ground with Steve Waugh and Glenn McGrath, who were the two, two of the bigger names in the team at that time. And uh, it was a, sort of one of the tour lead-up games. So it was a bit of a uh, festival game more than a big ticket item. And a little kid came running up and he was sort of saw Steve Waugh. said, Steve Waugh, Steve Waugh. And he's looking at him, he's shaking, getting the, the little program out with his thumbs through it and gets out the picture of Steve Waugh. And he says, oh, can you, can you please sign that? Sign that. And Tugger signs it. And then he looks, yes, Glenn McGrath, Glenn McGrath. And he thumbs through and gets a pigeon's photo and gives it to him and signs it. And then he looks at me, clearly has no idea who I am. <laughs> I'm flicking through the book and he goes, oh, and he just panics. He goes, are you Eric Gilchurch? And so, <laughs> 
the boys, only two people in the world heard that. That was Steve Warren, Glenn McGrath, but uh, Churchy was the nickname that I had within the team from that time on. So, um, yeah, that's, that's pretty, much, pretty much it. It's stuck. And we're just at the halfway point of the show, Gilly. And at the halfway yeah. point of the show, um, it's a, usually a pretty pointless podcast. So we have a pretty pointless segment run by um, our pointless friend called Ash Nelson. So it's <laughs> half time with Ash Nelson. Yes, that is uh, that is I. And you'll come to realise why this is a pointless podcast. So we probably already have, Gilly. Um, but <laughs> I, I just want to... I want to touch on that AFL because, of course, um, in recent times there has been a positive COVID-19 test that has mm. come out with Connor McKenna from Essendon and as a result uh, the game between Essendon and Melbourne Demons was postponed. And I think uh, more testing is going on today as far as Essendon Football Club is concerned and they're going to get results back tomorrow. Yep. AFL has also... Uh, issued a statement saying that contact training will only be for nine players going forward and if they want to have a large group training where there can't be any contact. So that statement just coming through um, today. But I guess my my question today to you guys and uh, see whether or not you've got a, an experience that you would like to discuss with, uh, with me and share is that Conor McKenna, as much as, you know, we feel sorry for him and we hope that he is okay and that he's not going to get too sick this whole COVID-19. He has kind of ruined it for AFL, hasn't he? So, you know, there is a lot of discussion now as to can this AFL season go ahead? And out of all the people playing AFL, I reckon all the players would have been sitting there going, please don't let me be the first one to get COVID-19. I don't want to ruin this for anyone. Anyway, Conor McKenna, he has done it. And so my question today, guys, is when have you just ruined it for someone? Or has you had somebody that has ruined something for you, because I went to a party the other day and we spent about a month, I reckon, trying to plan this party for a goalkeeper who got World Goalkeeper of the Year and it was so hard to plan it and keep it from her. And then I'm not lying, I reckon it was one minute away from her finding out about her surprise party when someone sent her a text message saying that they couldn't make it and they're really oh, sorry. Man. So, you know, I'm sure there are plenty of experiences like that. Gilly, have you had any moments where you've ruined it for someone or someone's ruined it for you? Oh, dear. Um, what about ruin, ruining it? I think, um, well, we were joking before about Andrew Simons and sometimes he didn't come home. (laughs) (laughs) Ruined it for the entire team. (laughs) (laughs) There was one particular occasion where um, we were all very, we we had um, back-to-back games in in England and we were very keen after the the second game to be able to relax because we had about a week till the next game. We were really targeting that that night is the night to be able to just uh, chill out, have a few drinks and, you know, uh, blow the cobwebs off a bit. But um, Simo decided to do it on the night before um, the game, the last game. And we were only playing Bangladesh, which I say only back in, back in 2005. They'd never beaten Australia. And not only that, we pretty much smashed them any time that we had played them. They were a minnow in as far as sporting uh, terminology goes in cricket. Um, Simo went out and didn't get home to the hotel until about about half an hour before the bus left for the game, um, and it, it took some it took some effort to get him there uh, to the to the ground. Um, he's tried to do his warm up, and it was only at that point, And this is how um, thorough we are in our um, sort of observation detail. 
It was only at that point that we realised that he was still pretty pissed from the night before. <laughs> <laughs> like, he wasn't even the hangover, he was still drunk. <laughs> oh, mate, well, he was, um, he tried to, the only thing that gave it away is he tried to do, ran the lap and he tried to do the calf stretch, but he leant on a wheelie bin and then <laughs> it, it flew and that's where we all sort of went, there's something not right here. Anyway. Um, so the way you ruined that funny. was now that you have a mandatory breath test before you get to training. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That they mightn't have found COVID in Simo, but they probably didn't find much else because it would have been killed <laughs> off from the alcohol. But, uh, poor old Simo, we, we, we lost the game. Simo sat the match out. We lost the game, first time ever. So I'm part of history there against Bangladesh. And oh, then Simo. We weren't able to have a drink that night to, um, to blow the cobwebs out because we're all under a little bit of... Um, pressure from the uh from the authorities but but uh, this michael slater did one i'm just thinking out loud now he didn't do anything other than temp fate where we're in india we'd never won a test series in india australian career for 31 years we won the first test of a three test series we were in the second test match and we were in the unlosable position we just had to go out and pick up six more wickets within two days and, and we've got it and slats before we went out to play pulled this cigar out of his bag and he's smelling it going oh tonight boys here we go we're going to be celebrating smelling this big cigar <laughs> oh, yes. the most. Yeah. we didn't get one wicket all day we came back the next day they had a lead and they bowled us out we lost the unlosable test match and i reckon <laughs> that little tempting of fate was uh, along the lines of the, <laughs> of the first po- uh, positive COVID test yeah, I love it. <laughs> um, there's a couple of other things that I want to get through with you before we have to let you go. Uh, yeah. You, of course, were a wicketkeeper. Probably when you first started, you didn't have stump cam as much as they are on every stump now. No. Was that a good thing, that you didn't have every single word that you said recorded? Uh, I reckon, well... Gee, I'm in broadcasting now and I love it. Turn the stump mics up, keep it up yeah. so we can hear everything. But there was one time on a tour and it was, it was early, it's about halfway through my career, but it was stump mics were around then, but stump cam was sort of phasing in. And, but they always turned the stump mic down in between deliveries. That was the, the rule or the law, I suppose, of, of the agreement. But there was a tour where they just left the stump mic up high volume the whole time. And I was getting messages from home in Australia. <laughs> Just watch what you're saying down there. <laughs> so we asked them to turn it down. The TV broadcasters wouldn't. So we just took matters into our own hand. And, and I think a few players did it last year when we were trying to broadcast on Fox, started just naming their own sponsors. Um, <laughs> nice I sponsor love by, this. By Milo. So I was saying, oh, plenty of energy there in the outfield, boys, fueled by Milo. And we're going to go out to dinner tonight and we'll use our TravelX payment card. And so we're just dropping all these sponsors in. I actually got reprimanded from Creed Australia for that. But uh, um, yeah, now that, now that I'm in TV land, turn them up. Let's go for it. <laughs> well, you have to be a good sledger to be in that position. Yeah, I didn't what? You didn't sledge? What no. is, what's the best sledge that you've heard then if you weren't one that was sledging? <laughs> um, the best sledge, now when sledging's discussed, it's always Steve War's name comes up because he was probably one of the best but did it in such a discreet manner. Like he would just have the hand over the mouth or something like that and you wouldn't know, whereas other people are a bit more animated. But the best sledge I ever heard was on 
one of the war boys, and it wasn't Steve, and it wasn't Mark. It was their younger brother, Dean, who obviously being younger brother of the, the twins that are Mark and Steve Ward, who also represented Australia, I think, at youth soccer level and tennis, uh, and they played pretty much um, state level, every sport they tried their hand at. Poor old Dino's a younger brother, came through with a fair bit of expectation on him, a bit of pressure. Anyway, we played a game of club cricket once where a rare time when all the Australian players and state players were back. We got Steve War out, we got Mark War out in the opposition, Dean War was batting, and our opening bowler was bowling, and Dean was having a shocker. <laughs> he was playing miss, he got bowled off a no ball, he got edged through the slips, he got dropped by the weak keeper, I don't know who was keeping. Uh, but anyway, he looked terrible with all this pressure and expectation on him. And our opening bowler walked down and looked at him and said, you must be the adopted one. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was a pretty harsh, but it was pretty, fair, pretty funny. I mean, it was pretty good, pretty witty. Uh, you, have to, you have to be witty, don't you? I yeah. think that's probably the, the key to it. A good sledger is somebody that doesn't necessarily swear or bag someone out or be racist or sexist or anything yeah. along those lines. It's actually just being witty because Parker and I were laughing about this. I have to admit that I said to her, I'm like, I wonder if wicket keepers have to go to like sledging school because I just feel like it's an acquired skill that you need to have as a wicket keeper. And Tim Payne gave a pretty good one when he said, I know he's your captain, but you don't have to like him as a bloke. Um, have you got any other uh, additional stories of a, another good sledge at all that perhaps um, you've heard from a wicketkeeper? Yeah, I don't. I, I agree, Ash, what you say. Um, you have to be witty and smart and intelligent to be a good sledger, and that's hence why at the start I said I was a terrible sledger. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't sledge because I knew that I wasn't smart enough and clever enough. There's a fine line was, you know, between just abusing someone and, and sledging them, but um, oh, there's been there's been Lots thrown around. But again, the, the War Boys, that, that always seems to go back to them. But there was a very clever one where Mark War was absolutely blasting one of the, the New Zealand players um, just about, about being average and how crap you are and you're not up to this standard. And uh, the, the guy turned around to Mark and just said, oh, at least I'm the you know, best player in my family. <laughs> yeah, well, that's, that's quick that's pretty witty very very good um well we had damien martin on not your teammate damien martin we had the um nbl player superstar here from wa we had him on last week and he's actually a marriage celebrant and uh was the marriage celebrant of uh, brad hogg's wedding um I don't even know when it was, but he told a very funny story about how Hoggy was really worried about, oh, my fly's always done, undone. Can you make sure you're looking at my fly just to make sure that it's okay? So Damien Martin's got this photo of him when the bride's coming down the aisle and Brad Hogg's looking at his beautiful wife and Damien Martin's down there looking at his guys <laughs> at, his, at his crutch just to make sure his fly's not undone. And we thought, you know, Hoggy's the type of guy, one of these characters of the game that everybody probably has a funny story about. Do you have any funny stories about Hoggy? Oh, Hoggy's tremendous. He's, he's one of those little, you know, nuggets of gold in a team environment that he just keeps on giving and giving and giving, even though he's not crying. Um, no, it's because he keeps <laughs> on playing and playing and playing. Like, he just never retired, did he? That's right, yeah. Just <laughs> Sounds like you, Mel. It's, it's me, yep. I see yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, that's all right. Yeah, that's yeah, just uh, maturing nicely, just uh, <laughs> with age. But Hoggy was, um, oh, I mean, on the field, unbelievable. Uh, off the field, just energetic. As I said, he's the first riser every every morning. Uh, you know, his first roommate in the Australian team was with a guy by the name of Paul Rifle, um, former bowler from Victoria, who valued sleep like, you know, every minute was a gold bar. Uh, and he roomed with Hoggy, who was waking up at, you know, five in the morning, sort of spinning the ball. Just, he was like a cattle dog, sort of the tongue out, going, come on, come on, throw it, throw it, you know, I'll chase it. But, but Hoggy, um, he... There was one time where we won the Sheffield Shield way right at the start of our career, and we came back and the Premier and all the minister, state government ministers put on a re- reception for us. And he liked to try and sort of articulate himself really well and, and maybe portray an image that was a little bit more intelligent than he actually was, being a, a good old country boy <laughs> on a farm down the wheat belt. But, I'm from that um, area, so what's your tongue? Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. No, but, <laughs> but, uh, Williams is a fine place. The BP at Williams, best pepper steak in the world, Hoggy tells us. It is true, and <laughs> but, um, uh, the wool shed's pretty good too if you have a passing right? through, Gilly, yep. Okay, I'll have to talk to Holly about that. He's never mentioned that one, so right. he must have been on some sort of free, free, you know, certain kilogram of steak that he gets from Tommy uh, uh, Yeah, Hoggy was in this, you know, state government reception and all the ministers there, Premier said a few words, and he turned around and there was a, um, a minister there, Honourable Norman Moore, and, and we all had name tags on and, and, you know, it's got the Honourable Norman Moore name tag, MLC after his name and Hoggy walks up to him and looks, he goes, oh, Norman. He goes, yeah, right. He goes, um, MLC, right. He goes, how is the insurance game? My brother's in insurance. <laughs> yeah, MLC being member of the Legislative Council, but Hoggy didn't care. He was forging on with his own own take on it. But um, that was a typical Hoggyism, just to, to pretend that he's just that, that upper level of intelligence when he's just a bit out of his depth. But he, he'll, he'll fire on anyway, Hoggy. He doesn't care. He'll and keep going. You just mentioned about um, him and his first roommate. Who was your first roommate? First roommate in the Australian team was Steve Wall. Um, yeah. So was he fun to room with or a bit daunting? Uh, yeah, really daunting. Because I got flown into India. Um, Ian Healy got uh, injured. So I literally, you know, the phone rang and finally it was that call that I was always hoping the phone call was about playing for Australia, but um, hello? Yeah, heels injured, you've got to go to India. Wow. So raced over there and landed at midnight, got taken to the hotel and basically thrown in the room with Steve Waugh and, um, and then we were up and out the door at six o'clock in the morning for an hour and a half bus ride to go to the ground. So it was all happened very quickly. So I don't, I don't remember any deep, long conversations with Stephen uh, in that little room, Perry. <laughs> In fact, I was his vice captain for four years, and I don't remember many long conversations. <laughs> um, funny how it plays out. Man of few words, Tugger, but just follow the actions. Some captains or just speak with their actions more than that. That's right. um, pulling the yeah. words, one of those. Yeah. I was actually thinking we've got a pretty special moment coming up um, with our football, so the FIFA Women's World Cup bid. Um, we've got New Zealand and Australia bidding as one. Yep. And it's going to be announced this week on the on the twenty fifth. And I was thinking that you had been to three uh, World Cups, won all of them, but none in Australia. How? What would it mean? I mean, 
the girls had the T20 here. Yeah. What, what do you think it would mean for us as a nation, as a, as a football nation, um, you know, to host a World Cup? And what would you have loved about it if you got the opportunity to have played in one here? Yeah, uh, clearly um, cricket has um, either hosted a World Cup before in 1992. Uh, cricket's you know, such a mainstream, popular sport, high-profile sport, uh, because, and the coverage that it gains here. To see the leveraging that it did for the women's game and that showpiece event, I mean, that... That was just one of the great sporting sights in our in our country's sports history, not just cricket, but um, I think we'll all agree with that. It's such an iconic day and and so very lucky, you know, a week before COVID. it may never have happened. Imagine that if you didn't have that memory for all of us, let alone the girls that were, were involved. Um, just That's just going to be cherished forever. So I really, really loved watching that. So for them to place that on to... Uh, you know, women's football and to know the profile that's just uh, ever increasing uh, on the back of um, a few individuals who have been able to, to achieve some significant things, but the team itself and the way it's progressed uh, and becoming so competitive at World Cup level, I, I think it would be absolutely brilliant to, to have that and to, have, to play in one in front of your home crowd would be you know, a different level, a different level of expectation and pressure, and uh, but geez, it'd be it'd be have to be possibly the proudest moment of your of your sporting career to stand in a World Cup game in in your home country. And last one before we finish up with you, I promise this is the last question before we have one little finisher with you. In two thousand and five, from what I'm reading, you were approached by the Red Sox. <laughs> Is this true? Were we going to see uh, an Adam Gilchrist, Michael Jordan kind of thing? You know, he went and played baseball for a bit. Would have you done something like that? Did you genuinely think about doing something like that? Um, no, I didn't. I didn't genuinely <laughs> think about it. Uh, it was, it, it was um, Boston Red Sox. Uh, my recollection was it was about 2003, I think. And the reason why I'll remember that is because we were actually on our way to a World Cup um, mm-hmm. in 2003 when when this sort of email or this discussion came up out of nowhere yeah. to my manager. Um, it was a long, long way away from the Red Sox offering me a contract. I can promise you. <laughs> so I'm, I'm happy to roll with that now and, and update Wikipedia. I'll actually even fill in an amount to the contract amount, but uh, it was simply... There was an Australian baseball coach who was on their coaching staff at the yeah. time and he knew cricket and knew the way it all worked and he actually just took some videotapes back in the day on beta probably uh, <laughs> put them over there and, and showed their batting coach about what cricket is and how the players hit it and it was a highlights package of me and this guy sort of got all excited about it and said, oh, man, like, do you reckon he won- wants to come down and hit a few balls and see how he goes? So that's about how formal it got. Um, well, I thought that you were going to be a catcher, but they were approaching oh, you to be like the... Just turn the glove over. Oh, uh, my knees uh, just groan at the thought of that position. I mean, <laughs> oh, yeah. squatting up and down for a living was hard enough, but just being in a permanent squat 
Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I was actually thinking of doing that myself, like becoming a, a wicketkeeper. And now yeah, that you yeah. think of, now that you say the knee thing, I'm like, yeah, yeah, pretty much that's a no for me. <laughs> oh, but you'd nail it behind the stumps. Imagine the coverage. You wouldn't need slips. I know. Yeah, I know. You have four extra fielders everywhere else. I know. that. That's, that's a good point. I might just... Uh, <laughs> Uh, call Elise Perry and, and see yeah. what she says. Well, you're not retiring anytime soon, so <laughs> line her up. Line her up. And we'll just finish up here, Gilly. I'm not sure if you're aware. Um, when I was up, you know, when you decided that you were going to come on to this very prestigious podcast, um, when you asked us to come on, of course, we never approached you at all. And I thought, I'll do a bit of research on this guy. I don't know much about him. Because we're thorough as well. <laughs> So I look up Adam Gilchrist. I'm not sure if you're aware, but you're actually uh, the owner of F45 franchise. Are you aware of this? I am. I am. I am indeed. I uh, I received a, <laughs> a text message from my father. I, I grew up um, predominantly in my high school years and mum and dad still are on the north coast of New South Wales. So about in a place called Lismore, about 25 minutes from Byron Bay. And my yeah. father sent me a few years ago, just as F45 boomed, um, a picture message of a realestate.com sort of thing that said, Adam Gilchrist buys $18 million house in Byron Bay. <laughs> yes. Dad messaged me, says, you got something to tell us? Like, <laughs> no? And I it's just... It's well. Right, and it was, um, yeah, Adam Gilchrist, F45 owner. So, owner. Yeah. Well, well, if you look down your, your team list, you actually have quite a lot of... Uh, teammates that are multi-talented it seems so we're going to give you a little bit of a quiz just to see what your teammates or or people in cricket australia and to see what what other uh, skills they have so we're going to start off with an easy one um damien martin okay so there's one of your teammates but what other job did he have it's a a country music singer b a world-renowned surgeon or c a basketballer yeah, <laughs> I think I got this one right. I'll take basketballer. Well done, ding, ding, ding. Correct. Well done. <laughs> Considering we've mentioned him multiple times on the show. I would be what, about, that <laughs> what about Dave Warner? A, a British actor. B, a Broadway director. Or C, a celebrity chef. What was it, British actor? What British actor, Broadway director or celebrity chef? I'll go Broadway director. Ooh, it's actually A, a British actor, Emmy and Emmy award-winning British actor called David Warner, INC, wow. Star Trek and Titanic. Right. Was it? Okay. There you go. Oh, the work David Warner, the cricketer, is putting here on his TikTok. <laughs> 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 Yes. What do you I have, have to say? Yeah. Can you tell him to stop doing them? <laughs> <laughs> I did see, I did see a, a tweet from someone saying, um, Cree Australia uh, fined him for a year for ball tampering and also punching Joe Root, but still nothing has been said to him. No <laughs> reprimand about his TikTok. <laughs> I, I tweeted, we can forgive Dave Warner for a lot, but I'm not sure we can forgive him for this. <laughs> He's putting the game in disrepute. Come on. <laughs> He's working hard in ISO. But anyway, an actor, right, David Warner? Yep, there you go. He's persisting with that TikTok as well. Good on him. Um, now, Brett Lee, hey, a Bollywood actor, which, you know, potentially he actually is, B, a radio announcer, or C, an average film star that was in quite good movies? 
I'll do a blend of A and B, an average film star that was in a Bollywood movie. and that's <laughs> <laughs> Well, you would be correct. See, average film star in quite good films. And right. then also we've also got Beth Mooney. Um, was she a CEO US Bank uh, or a CEO of a US bank, a Nobel Peace Prize winner in the category of medical science or one of Jacinda's MPs in New Zealand? Oh, sounds like a CEO. She is a CEO. It is a bit of a CEO Everyone. name, isn't it? Yeah. Beth Mooney, yeah. <laughs> Bravo. Well done. What about Steve Smith? A, NBA basketballer, B, EPL soccer player, or C, tennis player? You know what? The bloke that owns the gym, not F45, that I've been going to do for 20 years named Steve Smith. One of them. Oh, there's another one. I can imagine it's a very common name. Yeah. <laughs> it is, isn't it? Um, NBA? Yep. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and we've got the last one here now. We wanted to get six, so, so you can get six in out of here. Um, yeah. Now, we're clutching at straws with this one because <laughs> there's only so many dual names we could get. Now, there's, of course, Patrick Cummins, the very, very great fast bowler. I have his, his bowl on Joe Root on uh, repeat in our house often from the You do but, play that a lot, actually. Oh, I love it. The sound, that is one of the best sounds in sport. Oh, that, um, yep. So Patrick Cummings, close enough, right? Yes, okay. So we've got, he's going to be either A, a pentathlete from Scotland, B, a curler from Switzerland, or C, an MMA fighter from America. Patrick Cummings from Switzerland curling team doesn't strike me as one that I would have seen, but um, <laughs> oh, Patrick the Claw Cummings. I'll go MMA. Yes, well done. You you done. Done. Good job. Well done. Yeah, right. Well, that's not too bad. I mean, it's, I don't know if you got six and out, but you've got pretty close. It might give you, you five enough. and out. You got a, I think you got a boundary, but it's quite funny that. Ashley Nelson, you listened to our podcast with Damien the other week, that we've got a Georgie Parker, of course, there's an actress yes. with her name. We've got Ashley Nelson, who I'm a is a runner sprinter. in the UK. And Bubs, yours is something. Didn't you have something? No, nope. you're an artist. Well, oh, an artist, that's right. An artist. An artist. It's quite funny that, of course, we're not the only people with our names and, and you're not one of them. You've got another one of you who seems to be earning more than all of us will ever earn in a lifetime. <laughs> all right, isn't he? <laughs> Which would you rather be? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, um, they tell me that, uh, yeah, he's, he's the, not the, not the fitter one of the two owners. He's the money. <laughs> He's the, so, the smart I'll, one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah well, when you have we'll that much money, there. you don't need me fit. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. You don't. Well, we'll leave it there, Gilly. Thank you so much for joining us. I know you've got to go pick up yeah. your kids. Um, spending all that time with, with them, I'm sure, now that you're not running around the country and spending a little bit more time at home during this time. So thank you so much for joining us. Um, it's really interesting to, to hear your side and, um, especially about the the hubs and just what it's like to be in those situations that none of us really know about. Um, so thank you so much for joining us um, on That's What She Said. And, um, yeah, really appreciate it. can speak from all of us. Yeah, pleasure. Thanks very much for having me. Finally accepting me after all those years. <laughs> <laughs> and, and we'll live by that mantra of be more like Gilly, right? <laughs> we can, we yeah, can now unblock you. Going to go and get the T-shirts printed up now. But uh, a pleasure. Love the chat that you guys have. Good on you. See you later. Thanks, mate. Thank Thanks, you. Gilly.